Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. What does a scanner see? Into the head? Down into the heart? Does it see into me? Into us? Clearly or darkly? I hope it sees clearly, because I can't any longer see into myself. I see only Merc. I hope for everyone's sake the scanners do better. Because if the scanner sees only darkly the way I do, then I'm cursed. And cursed again. Good evening, and welcome back to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, A Scanner Darkly. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have the comic book guy, John. John. No, John, John. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was getting some good sleep after watching this movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hey, everyone. Hi, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. I would like to welcome back our first two-time guest. This is TJ. Hello. Uh, TJ, remind our faithful listeners what podcast you were previously on. I was uh, previously on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. funny because I'm also wearing Texas Chainsaw Massacre shirt right now. Yeah, right on, right on. Uh, we are talking about A Scanner Darkly tonight, and this comes from one of our uh, fan submissions, and this time our fan is TJ again. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, bud, why A Scanner Darkly? This movie, uh, I, I really like Richard Linklater. And I think this is one of his most unique outings. And it was just a movie that grabbed me from the first scene and just kind of carried me through this wacky journey that I didn't fully understand, but I knew it was worth examining deeper. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess. So. And I, I think the animation style is really unique. I, I just think overall this movie just screams unique. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And you said that the first time you saw it, you might not have understood it and watching it more recently. Do you understand it better now? Yeah. Uh, it had been a long time since I had seen the movie too. So I don't know if that also factors into my understanding of it. Like I, I, I sort of knew the broad strokes of the story watching it again. And I think that helped with, um, some of the plot twists. So am I hearing? Yes. Yes. You? Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty easy with me, you know, yes or no questions. This definitely seemed like one of those movies that you watch and then you have to go on the internet and read about it to say, like, did did that actually just happen or was I seeing that right? Was I following that right? Yeah, this movie definitely was, uh, to TJ's word, uh, unique uh, in, in ways. Um, but yeah, have you had you seen this before, Professor? 
I only saw parts of it. TJ had it on in the basement, and I watched several scenes with him. In particular, he grabbed me because it was Robert Downey Jr. on screen, and he was riffing on whatever it was. And I got to say that it was captivating at the time, one, because of the animation, and two, because of watching RDJ before you know he was Iron Man. And so watching it is like, huh, okay. Yeah, uh, only two years prior to Iron Man. So, yeah, um, I had heard about it. I don't think uh, I don't remember seeing it. So we'll go ahead and chalk this up to my first time watching this film. And, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, I fell asleep the first time, you know, and there could have been a lot of contributing uh, factors to that. However, um, I fell asleep and then what, I woke up just in time to finish it. So I got to see the end and I felt bad. I felt that I should probably actually give it a good, honest try. And so I watched it again. And so I guess you could say I've seen it twice now. And yeah, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, we'll get into it. it. I had heard about this movie just by the title and the rotoscoping and all of that. And I'm a big fan of the movie Scanners. So I thought, well, maybe it's something like that. Boy, was I wrong. Scanners as in the horror flick scanners? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where the head explodes? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, so there, sure. there is no head exploding in this one. Uh, maybe from boredom. Yeah, that's but true. That happens off screen. A Scanner Darkly was released on July 7th, 2006. It was directed by Richard Linkletter. The screenplay was by Richard Linkletter. It was based on a book, A Scanner Darkly, by Philip K. Dick. It stars Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr., Woody Harrelson, Renona Ryder, and Rory Cochran. Philip K. Dick, where where do we know that name from? Uh, he wrote Blade Runner. Not right? only that, Blade Runner, Total Recall, Screamers, Minority Report. He's God, the guy has just wrote a bunch of great sci-fi flicks. I didn't realize he wrote all those sci-fi flicks. I don't think flicks. it was called Blade Runner. I think it was called... Do androids dream of electric yep. sheep? Yeah, that was, but that, they were called Blade Runners in the story. Mm-hmm. Right, but that's what uh, they wanted to name the movie too. Yeah, the very beginning. Thirteen so. of his books have been adapted into movies. Well, that's pretty successful. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for nine million, and it brought in eight million. Oof. So losing money there, Linkletter. Losing money. I think the uh, general audience just wasn't prepared for a movie like this. To this caliber. Or, I don't know. I believe that movies speak to everyone differently. And uh, for me, and that's the only person I can really speak for is for myself, a movie has to uh, engage me and at least keep me somewhat invested in any of the characters. Uh, The problem was in this particular film, I didn't really care about any of the characters, so it was hard for me to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard Linklater, what, what else has he directed? Slacker. He, he did Dazed and Confused. Uh, Great an, a, Another movie called Waking Life, which is uh, his first uh, go around with rotoscoping. It was done a lot more simply than this ambitious project. After this, he did a personal favorite of mine, School of Rock. Love School of Rock. And then we have Scanner Darkly. And then he's probably most well known for Boyhood. Have you seen that movie? Because I have not seen it. I have not either. I have not either. TJ's a big fan. Well, I think it's weighed unfairly in, like, the movie is so specifically targeted at my demographic 
that like everyone I've seen it with that isn't in my demographic is like that movie was pretty boring, but it was some like I don't know that movie. It's is its own discussion about like you know its narrative, its its choice of framing. It, it to me it feels like a like a time capsule. Uh, Interesting. So. Maybe maybe one day I'll check it out. Let me ask you this question. You said you like Boyhood because it's in your demographic. It's in your wheel well. Um, is that the same reason why you like a scanner darkly? No, I uh, am not a heroin addict. Okay, just check it. So Linklater, he does have another movie that's opening tomorrow, actually. Uh, what's tomorrow? The April 1st. He is uh, His new movie, Apollo 10 and a Half, A Space Age Childhood is I think it's Netflix tomorrow and it's another rotoscoping movie. Oh really? Interesting. It's Interesting. it's it's definitely it looks a lot different than Skinner Darkly. And I think uh to add to the conversation of like it being a boring movie, I don't think that all of the rotoscoping is aged very well in this movie. And I think that's what makes it a little unapproachable. But I think it's to the story's credit. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 whole rotoscoping project for this movie, they shot uh, the live action in a couple of weeks, like three three weeks or so, and it took eighteen months, eighteen months to to finish the project, and they were constantly at loggerheads at trying to get this project completed, different people uh, approaching it. Uh, having different creators it was they were thinking that it was be closer to what waking life was and it ended up being a very very different uh uh undertaking and the studio thought that with the standard animation you should be able to get this done in probably four or five months something like that and it was nothing even close to that and so there there was there was a lot of blood sweat and tears in getting this made i'm surprised it actually ended up getting done i i read that originally they hired 30 animators to do this and they thought it would take around like you were saying around four to five months and come in at around 6.7 million it ended up taking 50 animators 18 months to finish and that, that's where pretty much the 8 million went yeah yeah for sure for sure definitely an ambitious project now do you know why they chose rotoscoping to make it feel more like a drug trip. Yeah, they wanted to create kind of an uneasy feeling in the audience so they feel like they're on a drug trip as well. And then they also wanted to emulate a graphic novel style movie, you know, because graphic novels usually will have a dark theme, dark colors, uh, kind of that hand drawn look. So they wanted to kind of give that effect to this movie. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, you say graphic novel movie, I think Sin City. Mm-hmm. So, but. Now, can you, I, I can see what they were trying to can do. Can you name some other rotoscope movies out there? Uh, well, Star Wars was rotoscoped. Um, when I think of rotoscoping, my first example that I go to is Aha, Take On Me. Mm, that's a good call. Right. Oh, the video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Video. That's, yeah, yeah. That's that is a really good call. The first yeah. one that comes to my mind is Heavy Metal. Okay, so I was going to say this was gave me very much a heavy metal vibe. Have you ever seen the movie Heavy Metal? No, I was going to reference uh, the Lord of the Rings before mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, animated version. I don't remember who directed that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. remember his don't name. Either, but but th- that's like one of the, I want to say, one of the earliest examples of it yeah. for a future. Yeah. Rotoscoping's been around for just about 100 years. Oh, well, should we, talking out my ass. Should we tell the audience exactly what rotoscoping is and what the technique is? Uh, if you want to put them to sleep, go ahead. Basically, rotoscoping was developed 
this version of it, I guess he calls it Rotoshop, like Photoshop, by Bob Sebastian or Sebastian. Um, and basically what it is, is you take a frame of a movie and you basically hand draw over it to give it that animated effect. They actually did for this movie, they did it digitally using the software. And for people who are familiar with like Premiere Pro, things like that, they used a tweening effect, which means they took one scene, they drew it out and they took another scene that was later on, drew it out kind of in the same frames and then made, you know, the program automatically, you know, created the motion between the two scenes. So like the mouths moving or the heads moving, things like that. So that saved them a lot of time. The way they also do these things is if you notice in the background, the background doesn't move a lot. So what they do is they create one solid background and just draw the characters and put them over the backgrounds. Basically, you know, this is actually something that's proprietary to this guy that created the software. And so that's why you only really see it a lot in his movies. Yeah, interesting. This version of it. Interesting. So it, it was... It was easier to do this in Waking Life because it was a lot more close-ups. But when they shot the movie, they didn't they didn't anticipate all of the challenges of a moving camera shot being outside and how are you going to adapt to having uh, your your backgrounds something that we take completely for granted. You know, as as the camera looks from left to right, that totally fucks up the whole dimension and and the perspectives as the animation tries to compensate for it. Sure. Sure. One of the nice things that this allowed, I guess I, I read that uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, instead of really learning his lines, he put post-it notes all around with his lines on them. And when they went to animate it, they just took the post-it notes out. Oh, sure. Brilliant. Um, the animation didn't bother me. Uh, I thought it was kind of a, a cool way to tell a story. Um, it did remind me a lot of heavy metal. And there was something else that I was thinking Oh, uh, the character's name is Arctur, mm-hmm. and every time they said it, I would think of Archer, Archer. and Same. that's the animated Same. FX show. So, you know, there's that. The animation completely distracted me, completely. I, I was mesmerized by it, and it distracted me to the point of trying to follow along with the story. This is where one of my first concerns came in about this movie is I felt like they could have done a lot more with the animation. We got what two hallucination kind of effects in the movie with the bugs. And with later on in the movie, we got the, uh, you know, people turning into the cockroaches or whatever. But if you're going to do like an animated movie, I would have liked to see them play with that more. Instead, we just got a lot of monologuing through the whole movie. Well, yeah, but that's, that's what the story dictated. So you have to question, was this the right approach? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and to a lot of people, absolutely. This movie is loved by a lot of people, for sure. I'm not going to take that away from anybody. What are the name of those suits that the uh, officers are wearing? Scramble suits. Yeah, I, I thought that that was why they wanted to go with this style of animation, was to highlight the effect that um, we're supposed to be experiencing with these scramble suits. Oh, sure. That makes sense. That too. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, like, would that have been cool live action or would that just have not translated very well? Cause that's what I was kind of thinking too is, is you have to have like a really good reason to animate your story in the first place. And you are right. This is a very like monologue heavy movie, a very like, like human characters in like domestic houses, right? Nothing very crazy or fantastical about it. Talking to each other for large portions of the movie. Um, but the scramble suit and like the, like you were saying, what 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 the scramble suit is trying to convey. There, there's something about like the like 
it just feels like the right choice, I guess. Like, I, I don't know if any other style would have made it feel right. The United States has lost the war on drugs. Substance D, a powerful drug that causes bizarre hallucinations, has swept the country. Approximately 20% of the total population is addicted. In response, the government has developed an invasive high-tech surveillance system and a network of undercover officers and informants. Bob Arctor is one of these undercover agents, assigned to immerse himself in the drug underworld and infiltrate up the supply chain. Arctor has a vision of being in his house with a wife and two children in Anaheim, California. Today, he has two drug-addicted layabout housemates, Luckman and Barris. The three spend time taking D and having complex, possibly paranoid, examinations of their experiences. At the police station, Arctor maintains privacy by wearing a scramble suit that consistently changes every aspect of his appearance and voice. He is known only by the codename Fred. Arctor's senior officer, Hank, and all other undercover officers also wear scramble suits, protecting their identities from each other. All right, so we start the film, and uh, we are introduced to the character of Freck, and he uh, has all of these bugs crawling out of him. Um, that was probably one of the best drug trips hallucinations I've seen in a movie. Really? Yeah, and I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of, you know, I didn't see the Johnny Depp one. What was that name of that movie? Fear and, Fear and Loathing. Fear and, and Loathing. Loathing. I haven't seen that one, but uh, the bugs, you know, that was kind of freaky. Yeah, it was kind of freaky. What would you think? Uh, kind of crazy looking. Yeah. And yeah, he definitely looked manic. Yeah. And it, and it's definitely designed to grab your attention. Right. And you know, he showers, he showers, can't, can't get rid of him. Um, I was so worried he was going to hurt that dog. I didn't want to have a puppy snuff film right in the beginning of the movie. Why is it whenever there's a dog in a film to you, it always circles you always around go to there. puppy snuff. You always go there. Probably watching uh old yeller as a kid. It emotionally scarred me. Not for one second did I think he was going to harm that dog, but I did know that as soon as he started looking, the cockroaches were going to come right back. You know, so uh, Rory Cochran, Rory Cochran plays uh, Fleck. Do you guys know what he's from? I I I don't remember. Don't you guys ever see Empire Records? Yes. No. That's Lucas. I like that movie. And did you ever see Dazed and Confused? Yes. No. That is... Is he the guy with the long hair? Slater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's probably been in... Well, he's actually been in a lot of other stuff, but that's where I recognize him. Uh, I liked the way he was animated. I liked his facial expressions, and I, I liked his character because he was completely tweaked out. And, you know, I love the fact that he could drive while he was all high. So we're introduced to this guy, and now we're... Uh, and then we cut to, it looks like a presentation of some sort. It almost looks like a PTA, like town council it, yeah, meeting. Yeah, it does totally look like that. And we are introduced to an, an undercover officer named Fred, who is wearing a scramble suit, who we find out is now uh, Keanu Reeves' character. If you miss this one little moment in the movie, man, you are fucked. Uh, yeah, probably. Because it, it, if you happen to not know what's going on, you're going to be thinking all the way through the movie. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Yeah. So Keanu Reeves is this undercover officer who is uh, infiltrating the drug world. And he has to give this presentation and tell people about it. But uh, the undercover officers wear the scramble suits. I don't get the scramble suit. 
it's I think a commentary on like how poorly managed the like literal war on drugs was. And like in police organizations it, it makes sense to have informants. It makes sense to have people that can infiltrate organizations and work up supply chains. It doesn't necessarily make sense that they should hide from each other. But this world that we're introduced to and, and it's a very sort of like dystopian. Well, I would call it like like light sci-fi. It's like there there's there's like a single element or two that's been ramped up. So it looks a lot like our world, but the case here being that like this world is just highly surveilled and everyone is guilty of something. When I think of these scramble suits, I'm thinking why do the police officers need to hide from each other? Because to me, I feel like that that is going to just set them up for failure. They are going to make it more likely that they can fall flat on their face and do all sorts of terrible things and nobody will ever know. There's no accountability. The reason why I think they use the scramble suits is, first of all, when you have undercover police in those kind of situations, um, they always hide their identity, you know, other police officers know who they are, but they usually will hide their identity so that they can go to another. If they have, you know, once they finish that job, they can go to another one. So when you can see TV interviews, they always, you know, block out their faces, things like that. You don't get to see who these undercover cops are. Now they say in the beginning, 20% of the population is on drugs at this point or addicted to some type of drugs. That means probably some of the police force is as well. So they don't in the police force, they don't even want the other officers knowing who they are because they may out them to their drug dealers and their other drug people. So I'm guessing you can't even trust the police in this is what they're getting at. Keanu's first introduction to these people, when he gets up there and he starts talking to people, he says that if you were to see him on the street, he would look like any other dope fiend. And there's definitely a point later in the film when they're trying to find out um, who the supplier is inside the house, which complicates things for Arctur, obviously, because he is basically having to report on himself. So it's like they they want to watch and they want to find someone guilty, but they don't necessarily, like it's, it's like the plan doesn't anticipate that their officers might be guilty. And I think all the officers who are in scramble suits are on substance D, at least somewhat, because there's like a medical unit that like comes out if they're noticing things that are like, like he has to go through all those psychological evaluations in the movie to just check in on how he's doing and whether or not he should like, I don't know what the term is like flush out or, uh, you know, go cold turkey on the substance detox detox. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many officers do we see in scramble suits? We only really meet two. Um, but you see a lot of them in the background. Mm-hmm. I, I see the most of them when they're in that surveillance basement I think it's a basement. It's like towards the halfway point of the movie when all the cameras have been installed right. in the house. I don't remember seeing any of them. Um, yeah, the scramble suit. I didn't fucking get it. I still don't get it. This is, is, is an interesting introduction to Bob slash Fred slash whatever name he's going by at this point in the movie. Um, Cause we see him giving a speech and then we see him start stumbling. And this is our first indication that there's something wrong with his brain, that there's something wrong with him. And at this point, I was really kind of bummed because it was just fucking depressing. And so that's kind of where this whole story went for me after this was just was fucking depressing. I understand that, you know, in these kind of stories, in this kind of book, and I guess 
People credit this movie to being the closest to one of Phillips' books than any of the other movies that have been made. Because like even Blade Runner, they took a lot of liberties with it and cut out a lot of you know references from the book. This one was really close to the book. But in the beginning, when the guy gets up to introduce Fred, he explains about the scramble suit and he explains about job. In this day and age, don't you think people in the audience would already know what a scramble suit is? Um, I don't know. Maybe not at the time. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of a strange, you know, introduction into what people probably already know, but at least he's telling the audience, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I think that is like an either a narrative shortcut or maybe that the suits are like cutting edge police force tactic and it's still sort of being like introduced and uh advertised to people that might have not invested in it. That that's kind of the vibe that I get from that meeting is he's like showing off a new technology. The guy who's uh who brings uh Bob on stage. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh so he gives a speech, uh he tanks it at the end, he has a conversation with HQ and at the end of the presentation he leaves and we get to find out uh you know they the officers have to go in one door they put their scramble suit away and then they walk out another door so they're kind of emphasizing you know the security that is being taken to protect their identities um so this is where we meet Keanu as Bob uh and he's about to call what's her face Donna Donna uh, what'd you guys think of Renona Ryder? I thought she was okay in this movie. Yeah. You know, they, for this, for the movie, the way it was, and you know, like I said, a lot of slow times in it, the casting was really well in this movie. It was really well done. There were some good characters who I thought who did some great jobs. I liked Winona in this. I, I thought her character in general was likable mm-hmm. and it was uh, a while since I had seen her in uh, a movie the only other time I've seen her of recent note was uh, Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah. Did you notice throughout the whole movie, she's the only character, I think, of the drug addicts that you never see do substance yeah. yeah. Or any drugs. Yeah. So. Well, she says she smoked a joint, but we never you, see her do right, it. Right, but that's what I just said. You don't see it. Well, I don't so, listen to you. Well, no shit you don't fucking listen to me. Always, always, always. Uh, so uh, when do we meet Robert Downey Jr.'s character? We meet him at the diner with Freck. That's right. So Freck gets to the because he calls Bears and about the aphids. Uh, yeah, is it what is that what they're called? I think they call them aphids. Yeah, yeah. And I like uh, he How says, uh, "What? How big are they?" Yeah, <laughs> and then he says, uh, "Bring me a couple. Put them in a glass jar." So uh, you know, Freck meets him at the diner, and this is our first introduction. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. What do you guys think? I thought he stole the movie of all the characters. There was, like I said, there was good acting from all the different characters, but I thought he had the best lines and he presented them the best. TJ. He is definitely the comic relief of this movie. Um, And again, it's, I wouldn't want anyone else playing the role, I guess. He just, he brings this energy to the character that I think no other actor could do. And it's not that he's, it's not that he's stealing the show from Keanu Reeves. I just think Keanu Reeves has like more of a, he's got like more of an emotionally unstable journey. Like to me, um, Barris's character is like constantly projecting. Like we don't really get to see like a weaker side of him. We just sort of hear all of his conspiracy theories, all of his ramblings. Um, and he's also not like, He's not the focus of the story. He becomes one of the targets uh, of the police department, 
Um, but we don't we, we don't really learn anything beyond ju- be like deeper reasons for why he's doing what he's doing. His primary motivation to me just seems to be like conspiracy theories and uh there's like no like he doesn't show any emotion to his friends. You know why he's doing what he's doing? Because he's an addict. Yeah. And that's very much addict behavior. Professor, what did you think of Robert Downey Jr. in this role? He was easily the strongest character of the movie. I I enjoyed having him on screen. As TJ points out, he has this uh, frenetic energy that the character conveys that makes him compelling to watch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought he was the most entertaining part of the film. I guess the reason why Linkletter casted him is because he wanted someone who could be intelligent evil and humorous all at the same time and robert downey jr nails it robert downey jr is known for he had a bad drug time and he i think went to jail for a little bit because of it i wonder if he drew from that kind of into this role i think robert downey jr kind of looking on it now in some way shape or form always plays a version of robert downey jr if that makes sense there's certain actors ryan reynolds that all kind of play the same and it's not wrong or bad unless it's too much. And then it can, then it becomes bad Vin Diesel. But you know, I think Robert Downey Jr. Just plays another version of himself. So, but yeah, um, absolutely. I'm sure he drew on, you know, his drug days. I, I would say that this movie to me is the most like energy wise, like different than anything else I've seen him in. I also just saw him in this really random movie. Um, with uh, what's weird his name? science. No, it's the guy from Men in Black. Uh, Will Smith, the slapper. No, no, the the older fellow, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. He was playing like a like a young cop with Tommy Lee Jones in some movie where they're taking down a guy in a jungle. Uh, that would be U.S. Marshals. U.S. Marshals. Yes, he. Oh, was. that's he right. Looked he looked really, really young in that though. So mm. he just he feels like a unique casting choice in this movie, and it feels like Robert Downey Jr. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I haven't seen him play this kind of a character in any other movie. Like, I guess in his, you know, primary role of Iron Man, he sort of, like, projects gravitas and humor, but not necessarily, like, a chaotic energy. Like, this to me, like, we always come in on him doing something strange. Like, working on the silencer. I I think my favorite scene with Robert Downey Jr. in this movie is definitely when he comes into the house with the 18-speed bike. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just sort of it's but it's just a he's he's a character who's sort of like hyper focused on whatever is like physically in front of him and he's got this like plan for a plan for a plan and you know that also sort of happens when they're in the car and he's talking about the alarm that he's left that's so elaborately detailed um i just left a note on the front door that said come right in yeah i kept trying to figure out if he was really as intelligent as he was trying to portray himself with or he was just full of shit the whole movie yeah, well, he pulled off either uh, either one because uh, I, I agree with you. He, he he brought this energy to the scene, and that eighteen speed bit was funny. Uh, this this movie had moments that I enjoyed, and uh, uh, and I think it was when it was Keanu, Robert Downey Jr., and Woody Harrelson in the same scene. Right? What'd you guys think of Woody? He was a fun character. Yeah, he he looked like a he definitely looked like a a a, a drugged out you know a layabout lazy oaf. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like they tried to put in a character represent each type of drugged out person. You know, if you're you have 
Keanu, who's all laid back. You got Robert Downer Jr., who's very paranoid and just always on the go. And then you had Woody Harrelson, who's just the manic, you know, he, he's quiet. And then he has these outbursts and just kind of very physical. Sure. I, I really liked him when he was up in the tree yeah. during that scene. Yeah. It's a silencer, first of all. I, I think out of all the characters, he's probably my least favorite because he feels the least dimensional of them, but I still really like him. And I mean, I didn't not like anything he said. He was, I, and I don't know if that's just like the, the chemistry of the cast just working together super well. Like, again, if someone else were casted in that part, I'm not sure if it would have been as good. Um, but he, to me, feels like he's the character with the least amount of like emotional baggage and like presence in the script. I, well, he is there to suffocate and have um, Bob realize that uh, Robert Downey Jr. character. Um, Barris. Barris. When he uh, has the, it's not a heart attack. Is it a stroke? I think he was choking. choking. He was choking, he was choking. on something. That, that's a moment. His TV dinner. Yeah, that, that's a moment for Bob to realize that Barris does not have uh, everyone's best intentions in mind. Sure. Um, and it feels more so because I would say out of all of the addicts, uh, he is the one with the least amount of like, I would say like, he, he has the most innocence out of them. It feels wrong for him to die like that. And it feels extra wrong that Robert Downey Jr. like seemingly lets it happen. Mm-hmm. And then Keanu has that whole bit in the car with uh, Donna where he's talking about how Barris just sort of nudges people towards their death and then watches. Right. And that's like a, an examination of Barris's character that I think reveals the evil side of that trifecta of humorous evil. And uh, what was the third one? Intelligence. Intelligence. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we get introduced to our characters and a lot of this movie is uh, scenes with Arctur as a human, I guess, or off duty being with the, the addicts An undercover officer, basically. Yeah, an undercover officer. And then uh, we cut to him having conversations with Hank. One thing I read that I thought was interesting, and I don't think I caught it when I watched it, was when they kind of talk about how he's got the brain damage and one half of his hemisphere brain is competing with the other half. Did you get the fact that when he was in the office and he was watching, you know, wearing the suit and watching the videos, he didn't realize he was watching himself? He had separated from Arctur. Yeah, no, I didn't. Care. I guess that was the point of that, that when he was watching it and he kept saying that, oh, we're targeting Bob Arctur, he didn't realize at that point he was Bob Arctur because later on, when they say something, you know, when Hank says, we know you're Arctur, he's like, I'm Bob Arctur? Yeah. yeah um, I guess it, it was a total set. I didn't catch that. I had to read about that. Yeah, no, I didn't catch it either. No, I didn't either. I was kind of under the impression that anytime he was like, questioning Bob Arctor, he was like covertly trying to save his own ass. That's right? how it came across to me. Yeah. Too. Uh, the first couple of times. Yeah. Cause when he walks out after that first initial meeting of him, he says, Bob Arctor's a good dude. Yeah. You know? And he kind of walks off. I thought that too, but it doesn't surprise me that all of that happened was cause he's losing his mind. I mean, he's, he's fucked up. Well, I guess the intent of the author was to keep things purposely vague is the comment that he gave the example of when we in this you know first part of the movie we learn about bob's family and the reason why like he left the family 
did that really happen? Or, or was that something, a memory that they planted in him into his character of him going undercover? So the author purposely kept that vague. Uh, did you have any suspicions at all about Hank and Donna at this point? Or uh, It wasn't until Hank stands up. Once Hank stands up, he's considerably shorter than uh, Fred. Mm, that's a good tell. So I went, oh, I bet you it is Winona. Spoilers, it's Winona. Oh, man. Well, re-watching this movie again, knowing, because I had seen it previously, I knew that it was Donna, and so I was kind of trying to watch for clues that it was Donna, and I did not even pick up on the height difference. Like, to me, the scramble suit was just sort of like a perfect, like, it could be anybody. Like, yeah, it sort of felt I, genderless, too. I, 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 the scramble suit annoyed me. The And I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but what gave it away for me wasn't until close to the end of the movie when... You know, Hank stood up and walked down the hallway. He walked like Donna. He didn't walk like a a guy would walk down the hallway. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so that's yeah. what kind of made me think, oh, this is a female in the suit. I didn't know if it was Donna at first, but I said this has got to be a female in the suit, not a male. Yeah. Since going undercover, Arctor himself has become addicted to substance D and buys from Donna, who Arctor hopes to purchase large enough quantities of D from, so that she is forced to introduce him to her own supplier. They have a tense and at times caring romantic relationship, but she rebuffs his physical advances. At work, Hank orders Fred to increase surveillance on Arctor himself and his associates. Arctor's house is now at the center of his own investigation, since this is where Donna and the other addicts spend time. Arctor is navigating a double life, and his prolonged use of D is damaging his brain. Barris is informing on Arctor to Hank arguing that Arctor is a terrorist and angling to be hired as a cop himself. However, Barris unknowingly conveys this information in the presence of Arctor himself, whose identity at the time is hidden behind his scramble suit. So Arctor uh, wants to buy some uh, substance D, so he calls Donna, and we are uh, there's some scenes in there where, um, you know, we get, Arctor and Donna together and they're driving and you know, it's, it's pretty clear that Arctor likes uh, Donna mm-hmm. and Donna appears to like Arctor. Um, so they go to her place and they want to get all high. And then when Arctor makes his move, she like says no. And the excuse she gives, <laughs> uh, I do too much Coke to, be with anybody yeah that was an awfully weird excuse that was a weird excuse right yeah. well, now i know she was an undercover cop yeah that's the you know right there i felt like something was weird because she's getting all cozy with him but at the same time you know but you know she hinted at it earlier even with other people she doesn't like to be touched yeah you know she doesn't want anybody touching her so i thought okay well either she's got some issues she's been abused or she's hiding something yeah, and it turns out she was hiding something. Uh, we also get the bit here when they are going to San Diego. Uh, who is it? It's Arctor, Barris, and Luckman. And uh, so what do you guys think of this scene, uh, the road trip to San Diego? Uh, I love the paranoia that comes out you know, via this scene that we really get to see how it's affected their minds to the point where – they, I mean, throughout this whole movie, it seems like they're just paranoid about everything. Someone breaking into their house, someone watching them, someone has sabotaged the car. Uh, in this case, it don't, it really does look like someone sabotaged the car. So we don't know for sure. Yeah, I was uh, 
it was around this time I started thinking of all of the crazy surveillance that's happening throughout this. And I, I was really, I don't know. It was kind of disturbing just how far up the ass they are in everybody's world with this. I, I was really disappointed that, that these people are driven to this extreme paranoia like this. And I think partly because of, you know, how, how much society has, has warped and twisted itself. Sure. Did you catch when they were watching the videos and the surveillance and everything and the text around the videos? Did you catch what that was? That was actually the script from Blade Runner. Oh, was it? Yeah. They were all of the text and stuff that was scrolling and any of the screens was always the script from it. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, what'd you think of the freeway scene? I think it's hilarious. I just, I don't know any, and it's weird because it's like, they're not necessarily very plot heavy scenes. But it's, we learn so much about the dynamic between this group of people and how none of them are really able to solve their own problems. And that's largely because, you know, they're addicted to substance D. They're all addicts. Yeah. It's amazing that they're even able to drive a car. Um, that's what I was thinking. Well, I, I kind of take it that um, Keanu is probably the most high-functioning of them because he is always working the police angle Right, he knows that he has a job to do, but the other two are, you know, they're their own entities that are. Yeah, I would agree with that. That he's probably the most functioning for sure. Um, Here's the big question: Uh, Was the car sabotaged, and if so, who sabotaged it? I have a better question for you. Who cares? I know, but do you have an answer, Professor? No, you don't care. No, I think it's Barris. I think Barris does it. Just to see what'll happen. Well, yeah, because Keanu Reeves notices him on the. On the TVs. So, so let me ask you this then. If it's Barris, does he have a death wish? There's no guarantee that they're going to be able to stop that car. There's a few theories out there. One of them is that it's Barris and that he didn't, you know, his at, drug-addled mind kind of forgot that he had done it or didn't realize he'd done it. He was really just trying to take out Arctur and Donna. And he thought that maybe by doing this, he would take them out. But he's so, you know, loopy that he forgot that he had done it. The other one was nobody did it and they're just being super paranoid and that just happened in the car. The third one is that it was Donna to try to push Arctur a little bit farther and a little bit faster. Or kill him. Well, supposedly nobody thought it would kill him. A couple of things I thought. Uh, after they break down, I thought the dialogue was kind of snappy back and forth between them and then Robert Downey Jr. being the salesman. He doesn't have to tempt uh, Luck very hard. He just shows him the pills and boom, he takes them. But he, he eventually talks uh, Keanu into doing it, even though Keanu uh, uh, has wants to cut back because he had his evaluation thing. And um, I, I thought it was funny that when they're in the tow truck, a, how did the car get loaded backwards? And B, the whole bit about did he or did he not do what they that he said he did? I thought that was probably my favorite scene in the entire film. That's what I thought about the freeway sequence. Because you you always say I have to go for the creepy factor. Let's can we talk about that sex scene? Yeah, all right. Let's with, talk with about the sex Con- scene with Connie. He brings Connie after he gets rebuffed by Donna. He brings Connie back to his place where. They have some intimate moments. Just say sex. <laughs> Why don't you guys just call it heroin? Um, sex. At oh. one point, he looks over and he sees Donna. Right. Um, was it Donna? Was it Connie the whole time? Or was it something else? 
Okay, I got a better question for you. I don't want that. I want you to answer the actual question. It doesn't fucking matter. Well, I wanted what I wanted to know more than any. What really caught what I had a question about? Was she alive? She does prostitute? move at one point. Does she? Yeah, I, think I, so. I don't. I, I might not have seen it, but that's what I was. I thought thinking. she was alive. Did you? Yeah. I thought it was just as fucking hallucinationist. What do you think? Was it Connie? Well, was it Donna? Or was it something else? We so we know that Keanu. We can't trust what Keanu's seeing. And he has that experience in bed where he's pretty sure it's Donna and he has this double take. But then when he's, he watches the surveillance footage and he see something about like seeing it on the surveillance footage to me deepens the mystery without necessarily answering it. And I will say that that is like the one part of the movie that I feel like I truly don't know the answer to. And I'm kind of curious to know what the internet has said. So for me, he he's already losing his mind. Right. And like you said, we can't trust what he sees. So at that point, like I said, I mean, I don't, I don't really care. So he's, he's already fucked up in the head. Uh, we have to assume that it's Connie because that's who the scene started with. That's who he's with during the fast forward scenes. And it's only that brief moment that it turns into Donna. Right. So a, if it was Donna, how'd she get there? And B, if it was Donna, how'd she get there? Well, there's three, I guess, popular theories out there about what was going on in the scene. One of the things I didn't really catch at first was Connie was wearing a necklace. So the first theory is that it was Connie the whole time. The second theory is that it was Donna because of of Connie's necklace had MG on it, which I guess matched the initials that were actually, or I think that Donna was wearing in the car or something to do with her car that was the same necklace. Uh, the third theory is that it was Donna wearing a scramble suit, which would be even more freaky that he wouldn't realize that that was a scramble suit, that Donna was just trying to push him further over the edge to speed up the end of the movie. And if these scramble suits are so fucking cool, how do they eat or drink? How do they go pee? Well, you do see it. Well, they could probably have a private bathroom. That one I buy. You do see. How uh, do they smoke? Yeah, that's what I was about to say codename hank smokes and that is something that i'm not quite sure like i was trying to visualize it like if you're wearing the suit that's completely over your face how do you smoke a cigarette and i guess if it's thin enough you could probably pull through it but you probably couldn't eat or drink but they do eat or drink so they do with it yeah they they don't do the spider-man thing where they like no because it goes over the other way oh (laughs) so everyone look away i'm about to have a sandwich yeah um which theory do you buy into I thought it was just Connie the whole time. And again, uh, Keanu's brain damage. He's just seeing all the different kinds of things. Even when he's doing that little scanner printer thing in the office and he keeps seeing both of them, it's just another sign of his, you know, increasing brain damage. I I thought it was Connie the whole time. I kind of like the scramble suit idea, even though I think it makes the least sense. Then why do you like it? It'd be a full body condom. Yeah. (laughs) So why not show it to us? You've, you've you've shown us the scramble suit every time we've seen it, and it's scrambling. That's the point of the suit. So how would it be? Because we're seeing what's in Keanu's mind, so the videotape can tape what's in Keanu's mind. So I mean, I don't buy the scramble well, suit. Well, he's at the all. one watching the video back, so he may not be seeing what exactly the video is showing. Philip Dick basically purposely left 
things vague and up to the audience. And this was an actual scene, this sex scene. He purposely left it vague and didn't want to give the answer to people. He wanted them to come up with their own theories. In the meantime, Bob has to go and get evaluated, Mm -hmm. right? And so the first time he goes in, we're introduced to the two characters, the two scientists, doctors who work for New Path. And New Path is the recovery center that they want to send everybody who's on substance D to um, uh, clean them out. Let me ask you this. And this is something that I read about later. I didn't catch when I watched it. Did you notice that the two doctors in the beginning, their faces changed later on in the movie to yeah. other people? I yeah. didn't catch that. Yeah. Um, it, it all goes back to you're in Keanu's head. Mm-hmm. It's a big drug trip. Um, so he has to take these tests and they do the bottle test. And uh, he passes that one. What'd you guys think of this sequence? I thought some of the stuff, first of all, I thought it was a sheep too. So how can you tell the difference between a sheep and a dog? I don't know. When they cut away or when they do a, a, a medium shot, mm-hmm. uh, the shape is very much like a dog. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have the ruffles and the, what a sheep would have yeah. for sure. And I did like him fondling the elephant. Of course you would. Again, making it fucking creepy. TJ. Yeah, just to add to that point, and I, I think um, when we see the sheep, we're looking over the shoulder with Keanu, and I think specifically with that very first test, it's like supposed to be deceptively simple to the audience to kind of like lead you. I, I would say for the first half of the movie, you think that like Keanu is troubled, but you don't think he's completely lost his mind. Uh and these tests are supposed to sort of like land you in the camp. I want to say in in the story that Keanu is perfectly capable of his of identifying these images. Like this test looks easy, and he's able to say really, really quickly that it's a sheep. But then, no, oh no, it's a dog. And we don't really get much of a close up on any of the other tests. We just know that like he gets increasingly more agitated by it because. I think he feels like he knows he's going to fail, but at least in in the first instance with these doctors, you kind of feel, I I think the vibe is that the test is like rigged or maybe like that they're not presenting him like, like a fair game. But the second time he's definitely further along. And I think that's specifically when he's fondling the elephants. I would add that, uh, I was thinking through these tests, boy, this feels so much like Blade Runner. Yeah. It, and it makes me wonder again if that's a Philip K. Dick thing. If it's well, like maybe, I mean, this book was written seventy seven, so I mean, who knows? Uh, you guys went to Blade Runner. I went to Twelve Monkeys. Mm. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, but once I love Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. So uh, Hank tells Bob or Fred. I get so all these names fucking can. Uh, well, they're all uh, one syllable names, yeah. which is extra confusing. Yeah. Um, so Hank is talking to Bob and says that we have an informant. So we find out that it's Barris and now we have Bob and Barris and Hank and Hank is asking Barris, you know, what, what evidence or what, yeah. What evidence do you have for us? What information? And Barris is selling uh, Bob and Donna down the river. He's calling them a, uh, a drug lord or a terrorist, terrorist. Or, yeah, something like that. Co-conspirators. Yeah, and and all the long while, he just wants a job at the fucking police department. Well, the thing that really cracks me up about the scene is when you find out later, again, we already mentioned spoilers, that 
Hank is really Donna and he's ratting to Donna and Bob about Donna and Bob. Yeah. So I thought yeah. that kind of brought in, you know, when you think back on it, that brings a little bit of humor to that scene. And so I guess, you know, Keanu is falling deeper and deeper into this hole and he, he feels like he can get a handle on it. But the reality of it is, is he is an addict and he can't. And so he's laying on the couch and there's a scene where, uh, Woody Harrelson's character, I think is rolling a joint, uh, and he turns into a cockroach and then he looks over and, oh, then, yeah. and then Keanu looks over at Robert Downey Jr. And he is it's turning completely into a, a cockroach. He is a cockroach. So at that point, you know, all right. Yeah. All of my disbelief is gone. It's all suspended. Let's, let's see where this takes us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I want to say my favorite scene of this movie is a scene that like, I almost want to say I understand the least and it's the, the attempted suicide of Freck's character. And we meet this hallucination. Like it's like an alien or some kind of creature. Interdimensional being. Yeah. Um, and he's listing off all the sins that Freck's ever committed. And it's this long arduous scene. And I don't like, I'm full disclosure. I don't understand this scene but I found it to be hilarious and I, I just loved everything about it from like the narration of it. Well, let me uh, allow me to explain it to you. What don't you understand about it? He wants to commit suicide. I guess I just like, to me it felt really random in the story, but it comes back towards the end at new path. When we see Freck's character again in like a blink and you'll miss it moment. Sure. Right, but that doesn't, that doesn't tell me why you didn't understand it. I, I guess I just like, I don't remember the scene that follows like, or that, that precedes it, but I think the scene is sandwiched by two like very Keanu driven scenes. So one of the scenes that precedes it is when they're in the driveway and Robert Downey Jr. And Woody Harrelson are going to fight Oh, right, and they're freaking, uh, they're Freck. freaking Freck out, <laughs> freaking Freck out. And oh, right. so I think someone off. says, go kill yourself. Or he even says, Oh, maybe I'm going to kill myself or something. Him killing himself comes up in the conversation, okay, and I yeah. thought that's where that took us. You know what I mean? This is another scene that I had to read about to fully understand, and I guess, I don't know if it's it's more explained in the book or not, but he tried to kill himself with downers. What he didn't realize is someone gave him uppers instead of downers, which kept him basically awake and hallucinating all night. Um, so when he got the wine and took the uppers, there was no chance he was going to die. He just had to sit there for eight or nine hours and hallucinate this guy reading off every sin he's ever committed in his life. So it was just pure torture. Yeah. I do like how at that scene, they brought in a narrator who sounded all official and it made it sound like, okay, this half, this letter that he half written was going to mean something. And the fact that he was holding the Ayn Rand book was going to be, you know, so meaningful in this nice outfit, the way he was going to be found. I don't know if you noticed when he went to the store to get the bottle of wine, he was wearing tennis shoes with his suit. No, I didn't notice. I just thought that was just kind of, you know, a freck thing. Oh yeah. Totally fits his character. I think my, my favorite line from the narrator there is like in sixth grade, Charles Frank discovered masturbation. <laughs> and then he's off, bike it in, perk it in, and he just starts going into his adult ears. Hank reveals to Fred that he has long known that he is Arctur. Arctur seems legitimately surprised and repeats his own name in a disorientated, unfamiliar tone. Hank informs him that the real purpose of the surveillance was to catch Barris, 
and that the police were deliberately increasing Barris's paranoia until he attempted to cover his tracks. Hank reprimands Arctor for becoming addicted to Substance D and warns him that he will be disciplined. Hank explains how seriously brain-damaged Arctor has become from D, and Hank phones Donna, asking her to come pick up Arctor and take him to New Path, a corporation that runs a series of rehabilitation clinics. Hank immediately leaves and, in private, removes his scramble suit, revealing Donna. At the New Path Clinic, Arctor and other D addicts show serious cognitive deficiencies. Donna, now known as Aubrey, meets with Mike, a fellow police officer. They discuss how New Path is secretly responsible for the manufacture and distribution of Substance D. Audrey expresses her growing ethical aversion to their police work, in which they deliberately recruited Arctor, without his knowledge, to become addicted to D his health sacrificed so that he might eventually enter a new path rehabilitation center unnoticed as a genuine addict and collect incriminating evidence of new paths d farms audrey and mike debate whether arctor's mind will recover enough to grasp the situation new path sends arctor to a labor camp at an isolated farm where he mindlessly repeats what others tell him tending to corn crops Arctor discovers hidden rows of blue flowers that produce tea. He secretly hides one flower in his boot to bring to his friends at his next holiday from the farm. Roll credits. Now, this last part brings up two things that I mentioned earlier. One, the part where Bob is repeating his own name like he doesn't seem to know it. That's where you really catch that there was a disconnect when he was viewing things that he didn't realize. Maybe one half of his brain knew he was Bob Arctor. The other half did not know that he was Bob Arctor, really thought he was Fred. Yeah. The other one was the increasing Barris's paranoia, that they were purposely doing that. That's what made me think when I first read that, that maybe Donna or someone else had something to do with the car uh, had something to do with, you know, making them think that they were being videoed and all that, that, that she was dropping those hints and putting those ideas into people's minds so that it would increase his paranoia. Yeah, possibly for sure. The one thing I wondered at this point is we had the two testers that were testing Bob throughout the whole film. The guy and the gal. Were they just really recruitment people for the rehab that they were trying to test him to see if his brain was addled enough that he'd be a good, good recruit for the farm? Well, probably, but what's the difference? I just figured that that was the whole point is they let those people come in because they knew eventually they would rule that Bob had enough damage that they could take him to that farm and they could get Bob in. Yeah, it is curious that like while he's in the office, that's the only time that he's, he's out of the suit is for those evaluations. And I don't think there's anyone else in the room. I think it's like they sort of feel like an independent, like a research portion of the police division. And Hank says... I know you're Bob Arctor, and he says how, and he's through process of elimination. Bullshit. She knew who he was because they recruited him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what good is the scramble suit? So, Hank and Bob bring Barris back in, and Barris gives him some more information, uh, all the while incriminating himself, and then he gets arrested. You know, and so it's at this point where we do get the big reveal that Hank is Donna. Um, but she says that he knows she knows that he's Barris and he she Archer. calls she, Archer, Archer, Archer. 
and she calls herself on the phone to have her pick him up. And, you know, then she, like you said, she runs outside and, uh, or she runs out of the office and you said the way she moved, it reminded you of Winona and she goes into the dressing room and voila, she is Donna. Uh, Hank is Donna. And now she is taking Keanu to new path. And this is where we get the withdrawal scene that has to happen in every drug induced movie out there. And, uh, you know, then we cut to him in group clean shaven and we see freckle again, freck. Uh, in the first time I watched it when I fell asleep, uh, I thought he died. I thought he really was. I thought he really succeeded in killing himself and that the reading of his sins was him in hell. So, mm. uh, when I watched it today and I saw that he was alive, I went, Oh, he didn't, he didn't. Were you disappointed? Um, no, not really. I was, you know, I got a resolution to the character. He, they didn't leave it vague for me to think that he lived or died or saw other people. When you saw Freck in the, the room with him, was your first thought who's taking care of the dog? No. Okay. Just check. Yeah. Cause you know, yeah, no, I, I didn't think about the fucking dog dude. Um, and so at this point for me, the movie was already kind of feeling long. I think that if we had cut here and just ended the movie, I thought it would have been fine. Well, we're what five minutes away from the end of the movie? Like ten more minutes, ten fifteen minutes. Fifteen? Uh, I don't know if it was that much. Well, that's what it felt like because we had to go to the whole diner scene, and we had to go to him mopping the floors and having another conversation, and then we had to go to the fucking farm. And I'm Bruce. Fucking dumb. Sorry, I just I didn't I didn't like it. This ending is where I think I had my biggest issue. The whole idea was to. You know, get him addicted to the drugs so he could eventually end up one of these farms and find the proof that would help them take down this whole corporation. Well, first of all, you've got a brain damaged drug addict as an agent. So what court is going to take anything he has to say if he ever had to testify? Second of all, he picks the flower and says, I'll bring these to my friends at Thanksgiving. So that, you know, however many months away that is that he's going to get to see them, they're not going to bring his friends to the farm. They're going to bring him probably back to the rehab. So he's so drug addled. Will he be able to tell them where the farm is at? Let alone, will he still even have the flower at that point? Cause I'm sure they do some kind of check. So we have a lot of things that we just have to accept that he's likely going to succeed in this mission when I don't think there's any way he could. It does end on a glimpse of hope. And I think that's what the point is. He says that line about the, you know, my friends will come see me. And then you notice the music goes from kind of depressing, a little ominous to, you know, the wide shot and we're panning up and the music becomes more hopeful. And I think that's what they were trying to end on was more of a hopeful note. But my problem with that is, um, and I'm all for hope, you know, absolutely. But we just spent an hour and 40 minutes watching this guy's delusions and, uh, his life and his his addiction and it was fucking depressing and i don't know if they did enough in the story to convince me that there is hope so that's just what i got well i i read bob taking the flower and putting it in his boot as like a reclamation of his own senses because he has that bit where he looks down and it's like oh my god it's everywhere and then the the guy who i'm assuming is 
the person who owns this like the area. warden, if you will. Yeah. He's, then he felt like a warden. Totally, right? But he's kind of rubbing it in his face, like, I know you're too fucked up to really do anything about this. Well, they say that the, the people who are really, really damaged by the substance, they can't see the flowers, and that's why they keep appearing and disappearing for him. But that kind of, like you were saying, Don, gives you a glimmer of hope in that the fact that he can still see it at times means he's not too far along. So what do you think? Should we rate this bitch? Is there anything else you guys want to get into? We didn't even talk about the most random cameo in this movie, Alex Jones. Oh that that to that. me is is the scene that is aged like milk, but it makes it all all the stranger of a film. All right, hang on. Who the fuck is Alex Jones? You don't know who Alex he's, Jones is. He's, he's an a, asshole. He's a conservative shock jock. He's the guy. That, oh, is he the guy in the with the bullhorn? He's the one that claims that Sandy Hook never happened. No, I'm in in the movie. Yeah, he's the one in the bullhorn. Yes, oh, okay, he's the okay. he's, the, he's guy the street in, prophet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, he's a shock jock, conservative shock jock, energy drink. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Well, I think around 2006 earlier. He was more respected, and I guess like Linklater was kind of going to the vibe of like this guy can read society, right? He's someone who, like, his 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 scene in the movie, and and Arctur looking at him is like he's he's looking at him as like someone who's like preaching truth, and then him getting stuffed into the van by these like ultra cops, I think further shows that like voices are being silenced by the authoritarian state, which reads really weird now because it's Alex Jones, right? Um, there's also another old moment, a blink and you'll miss it moment of like the police um, authoritative state that happens. And we spend like just a, the briefest of moments in like a Seven Eleven, and there's a cop in there wearing full riot gear. And he's like the kind of cop that would like any sort of department store where there's a cop in front, but they they make a point of seeing that this cop is like fully loaded with a bulletproof vest, riot gear, and I think that's a really quiet moment in the story that like emphasizes like the level of like police surveillance and the police tech of the scene, which also like they roll up in vans to capture people. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think. Are we ready to rate this bitch? I think we're ready to rate this bitch. Hey, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. You're ready to watch this baby any old time. You are just higher than a kite to want to watch this. A one fuck movie is your one and done. It is a very unpleasant experience, and you don't want to do that ever again. It's the, It's worthless. And zero? Zero is somebody owes me two hours of my life back, and whoever made me watch it, fuck you. Yeah, that's right. And we just don't give a fuck. Um, who wants to go first? Not it. Not it. I'm okay. Still, I'm still reading my notes. Because you don't fucking pay attention. Would you like me to go first? I'm happy to go first. All right. I like the fact that the comic book guy wants to go first. Do we want to do our, like, write down our predictions for what people's ratings are going to be, or just rate this bitch i'm willing to guess that every single one of you has rated this below a two. Oh wow that's a bold statement that's a bold statement i'll be curious to see how this goes well yeah. i i've talked critically of this movie throughout the whole thing so you know i'm giving it a five yeah well <laughs> you do hand them out like fucking substance d well 
<laughs> Let, let's talk about how many fucks we give about this movie. My initial viewing of this movie was confusing. I found myself zoning out a bit during times and had to actually rewind it and rewatch scenes over and over again to see what I missed. They did a good job with the rotoscoping and creating that kind of drug and paranoia effect to the point where it did feel kind of like we were having a drug trip while, you know, along along with Bob, you know, we were feeling and seeing what he was kind of seeing. So they did an okay job with that. But getting from point A to point B in this movie just felt like it dragged on, was long, was confusing. And, you know, it was a lot of trouble getting there to the point where I kept thinking, I might have to stop this movie and come back later. Don, I know you fell asleep during it, so I can totally sympathize of that happening. Some positive points. I thought the casting was great. I thought they delivered well. Um, But the drawback of the movie... For being, uh, as I said earlier, for being a movie that was animated, they really didn't make enough use, I think, of the animation. Obviously, the scramble suits and the couple of hallucinations we got were good, but there was so much monologuing in this movie that, again, the animation almost didn't make sense at some point because really all it was is just a lot of lines. The, The biggest issue that I had in this movie is with any movie... When you have your characters, you want to be emotionally attached to them. You want to feel something, whether you're rooting for them or you're waiting for them to take the big downfall. I didn't feel connected to the story or any of the characters. And when we finally reached the end, it was just kind of a ho-hum ending for me um, because I couldn't care less, I guess, at, at the end, which way this movie went and what happened to the characters. You know, I wasn't emotionally invested. So I understand the people who love this movie probably got emotionally invested with Bob or any of the other characters or enjoyed the twist at the end. Again, I didn't feel that. So when I was writing down my review earlier about this and kind of going over my notes and everything, I was thinking originally this was going to be a zero for me because it was tough getting through the whole first time. I definitely don't want to rewatch it. And I do kind of feel like I want my $2 and 99 cent rental fee back on this movie. Um, But When you look at the technical aspects of it, as I said, they did a good job with the rotoscoping. They did a good job with the casting. Robert Downey Jr., I thought, did a great job in this movie. Woody Harrelson was kind of a great comic relief. Even Freck was a a good portion of this movie. His scenes were very interesting, and the hallucinations and all that drew me in a little bit. I thought they did a good job with that. For just the technical points of it, I'd give it one point just for that. So my rating for this movie is a one. Okay. I'll go next. So I was thinking about this movie and looking forward to watching it because uh, TJ had put this in and it's like, okay, well he put it in for a reason. So I'm curious to see what this is all about. As I stated early on, I was definitely distracted by the animation. The rotoscoping is intriguing to watch and it is uh, its own little creature that, is distracting to me throughout the movie. And I had a tough time following uh, following what was supposed to be happening in the movie. But for the most part, in general, I really enjoyed having Robert Downey Jr., Winona Ryder, Woody Harrelson, and Keanu Reeves. Each one of these actors, I am willing to watch do their craft. And because of that, I found the movie in general to be a movie that I'm willing to rewatch again. This is something that I am curious to see again because it is 
heavy with its dialogue, and I am eager to have those moments of Barris as he as he riffs off of you know his dozens of different little points about things. I, I think that the uh, the ending of the movie it is it is definitely a, a down feeling, and I don't have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of hope that Arctur is getting out of this with his senses and he is probably lost to the cause. But like I said, I am willing to watch this movie again. I'm giving this movie 2.5 fucks. 2.5 fucks from the professor, a one from John. Uh, Halfway, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good for you. Uh, I guess I'll go. So with this film, I enjoyed the concept. I thought the animation was an interesting uh, way to want to tell this story. Uh, I thought the rotoscoping was fine. It did remind me a lot of heavy metal. And for anyone out there who is curious what heavy metal is, check it out. 1984, it's a rotoscoped movie. Um, I think you'll dig it. Uh, the cast, I thought that they all did a good job. They all brought different aspects of what an addict could look like uh, to their roles. Robert Downey Jr. not stole the show, but he definitely stood out and uh, he was interesting to watch. And and I did enjoy the relationship between the three guys. So in order for a story like this to work for me, I feel like the, the characters have to in, you have to care about the characters. You have to invest on their journey. And I didn't think that this movie did a great job of uh, making me care about these characters. Uh, there are there are a lot of drug-induced movies out there that do a better job than A Scanner Darkly. I think that someone who is an addict or a recovering addict could appreciate uh, what Linkletter and Philip K. Dick are trying to say here. And uh, addiction ain't no joke, man. I mean, it's a serious fucking problem in this world. At the end of the day, how they tell the story and how we feel about the character is going to drive, you know... Is it a good movie or not? At least for me. Uh, the soundtrack was funky. I thought the soundtrack was okay. Uh, I didn't realize that I really enjoy a lot of Richard Linkletter's films until we were rattling them off earlier in the pod. Um, but this wouldn't be one of one of the films that I would go to for Linkletter, uh, not by any stretch of the imagination. The undercover cop bit, it was confusing to me and just the whole plot of it and i think that if you're going to do a drug-induced film you shouldn't make your audience think too hard that that's just that's just how i feel about that uh overall you know i'm glad that we watched it i'm glad that you know tj put it into the helmet because i too like you professor were interested to see why he uh put it in and you know did he really like it or or what's the what's the real reason uh, yes, this is a unique movie, but just because something is unique doesn't make it good. So with that, I am going to give a scanner darkly one fuck. Saw that coming. Did you? Yeah. Mile down the road. Hey there. Uh, hey guy, would you like to, uh, weigh in on this discussion that we're having? Yeah. Well, I, I put this movie in because I think it's one of the strangest movies I've ever seen. And what I remembered is right before we fired it up, I, I was like, I was trying to go through my head from the last time I'd seen it. Like what's, what's the course of this movie? Is there anything that I should like tell anyone about? 
before we watch it. And then I just remembered the first scene is Frick scraping up all the bugs. And I was like, yeah, this movie starts weird and just kind of gets weirder. And you just kind of got to hold on and trust that the story is going in, in, in a direction that's going to make sense. And I do think that the story is really, really complicated. But I, I don't fault it for being complicated. I, I think it's a movie that I would consider highly rewatchable because you're going to get something every time you watch it. There's there's so much substance here. Um, and there there's... Katie, my, my sister Katie, brought up a, a really interesting point uh, that I actually agree with now. And she said, like, would the movie be as funny without Robert Downey Jr. and without Woody Harrelson and without these recognizable actors and actresses. And to her credit, I would say, I don't think the movie would have been as funny if other people were cast in it. And it's something about the chemistry of this cast that I think really makes it sing for me. I think this movie lives in a really strong space of scenes, not necessarily like its entire arc. Um, I, It's a movie I would love to show to anybody who is interested in a cerebral mindfuck kind of movie. I don't think I would show it to everyone because it is like a really, really dense movie. And it's got some scenes in it that if you don't understand at first pass, you're kind of just left to continue to guess. Like you said, if you miss the first scene or if you're not fully paying attention to the first scene where Keanu's introducing the morph suit, just gave me such a side eye. Um, like the the movie, just like the, it doesn't go back and re-explain itself. It sort of presents information to you, expects you to believe it on face value, and then it also throws in a lot of unreliable narrators. Like the whole movie is a story about a guy losing his mind. So already there's going to be some narrative continuity issues that are go- that are going to like call themselves out in the story and make you start questioning if what you're seeing is true. And then you also have a character like Barris who might be full of shit like john was saying right um and to have these elements of like distrust and 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 another central theme of this movie is is the hyper police state right what's the ultimate goal here for the undercover operation because keanu isn't led into it the audience is able to find out by the very end what the goal was right so there's there's a lot of deception that happens in this movie that makes it i think difficult to approach um, but at the same time, I, I just, I really like this story and I really like this world. And John also brought up the point of like not being able to emotionally relate to these characters. And I think that's largely the case with characters in stories that are addicts. Because if, if, we, if we were to relate to these addicts, then we would be in a similar sort of position of... I want to escape the reality that I've created, um, which is, you know, by and large, not something that every audience member has experienced or every audience member has dealt with or known anyone that's dealt with. So I think the question becomes less, can you emotionally relate to the characters and becomes more of a question of, do these characters deserve the fate that is handed them? Especially with Keanu at the end. It's a really, really depressing story. And I think it feels all the more depressing because it feels like Keanu doesn't deserve what happened to him. And the Philip K. Dick quote at the end, which is this big long list of all these people who have suffered from real drug overdoses, uh, 
Philip K. Dick's opinion largely seems to be that people that get addicted to substances aren't trying to destroy their lives. They aren't trying to kill themselves, but um, it's at no fault of their own. You know, they're, they're in an environment that supplies them an escape and people that become addicted to substances don't know how far that will take them. Uh, so I, I think largely the emotional draw of the characters here is whether or not they deserve their fates, which again, back to the point of Woody Harrelson choking on a TV dinner, that feels like, like does, does Woody's Woody Harrelson's character and dot or uh, Winona Ryder's character and Keanu Reeves, do they do anything in the story that is worthy of condemnation? It's worthy of like watching their lives fall apart other than they were just addicted to a substance. I mean, that's, a similar sort of narrative thread to a, another movie about addicts, Train Spotting, right? These characters are, are whip smart and they're constantly riffing with each other, and they are similarly trying to escape their environment. And by the end of that story, our primary character steals from his friends, but we still relate to him in a way. We still root for this character because he is escaping the environment that he was in. And Keanu Reeves you want him to escape that environment too. You, you want him to get off that farm. And I think that's why the movie ends with this glimmer of hope of like, if he can reclaim his reality, he can get out of the situation. Um, this movie, I think makes some really, really interesting strokes and touching points on just like the failed war on drugs. And I think that's why the plan feels so convoluted and why it doesn't make sense because largely the war on drugs failed and a lot of the things that you know in our real lives that police forces and and uh the dea drug administrations were trying to do to stop amphetamines whatever kind of substances were harming societies that they largely weren't able to stop it and they're like i don't quite know how i feel about like I'm pretty sure that this farm is in America and I'm not sure if the movie's like making some kind of comment about like the production of like opioids or, you know, over the counter pills that are or, 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 or like a system where the U S creates a product that gets people addicted and then puts them in a cycle where um, they become dependent and then are no longer able to function. So it's like it, who, who, who is really guilty of the societal crime here. Is it the addict or is it the institution that creates situations that bring addicts in? And so I do think this movie is dense. I do think this movie is hard to follow, but I think this movie is a lot of fun to rewatch. And for that reason, I want to give it four fucks. Now comes the time in our podcast where we are going to select our next film and we are going to let our guest TJ uh, select a movie out of the Bronco Helmet. Just as a recap, we have uh, a few more directors in there along with all of the fan submissions. So you never know what you're going to pull out once you stick your hand in. How many are in there right now? Do you know? Uh, I think last time we counted, John, it was like 18, 19. It was a couple weeks ago, okay. maybe. So 16, 17. So reach in and touch it. I don't like that you handed me. <laughs> Creepy. Mm. All right. I pulled something out. That's so wrong. I have the film heat submitted by Ronnie. All right. So Michael Mann, Robert, 
Okay, I'm going to ask this one more time. Who the fuck brought her and why? I brought her along. Why? She's my daughter and I love her. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Well, now what are you doing? Now are you trying to figure out? Uh, I just want to see yeah. another one. I'm what not going to say it out loud. No, go ahead. I don't give a fuck. Oh. It's going to go back in the... Thing. No, I know. What is it? Do you want me to tell you? No. I wasn't going to tell you. Give me a hint that only I would know. Taiko Atiti. Nice. Nice. Um, Have you, I finished I that, hope it's that, that black or the sale means yeah that. yeah yeah have I, you started it i finished it oh do you like it? It, it you're right it got a lot better it grows on you right yeah the fact that he wears the mad max costume i fucking love that yeah and then the twist it turns uh the twist it takes at the end yeah it was like yeah i was a little bummed he shaved the beard though oh dude that was so funny anyway. where's his beard where's his beard uh all right so the next movie uh heat by the should I, should I see if Ronnie wants to come in for that one? Because we're doing Save a Prior Ryan next. Right. So no guests, but then after that, no, we're George, George coming on for Save a Prior Ryan. Oh, then do we want to see if Ronnie wants to come? Absolutely. In? Give and him a call. Jill will see. probably come with. Yeah, that's fine. Anyone's better than TJ at this moment because he came in with a fucking C game when I need him to bring his A game. Sorry, but, I had a long no, day. No, TJ, you did a good job, especially with the... It's gonna fucking haunt me. But you know, like I said, that's better than the other person who did this, the yeah, podcast. Well, every, everyone does it. Everyone does it. Everyone does this. I, who comes on? I get in trouble all the time because I put my elbow. You put on. your elbows on. It drives on. him crazy. The only person that does it right is the professor, and the only reason why he does it right is because he doesn't talk. He's like quiet through the whole fucking podcast. I disagree. Well, you're not the one that fucking has no. to sit there and edit it. I would actually say. You have the most well thought out responses. We just ramble. He oh. actually thinks about his responses. Uh, you ramble too. Or, 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 I'm not saying I don't, but I ramble the most. Yes, you do ramble. I will the agree. Most. Yeah, and yours is the most well thought out. You mm. when you speak, it's because you've thought about it. Mm. <laughs> have, have you? I should let you listen to the raw footage. <laughs> but that's a nice sentiment. I like that. Uh, now, if you, if I could just stop you from saying, and again. Or previously when I mentioned, or... I read somewhere? Actually, no, that one's not so bad. At least you're being honest. Mm-hmm. Right? At least you're being honest about it. That that I don't care about. Um, what the fuck are you doing, young lady? I'm trying to end the fucking show. You're fucking killing me. Oh, she it's goes back, back to, to the french, french fries. fries. <laughs> I've got a bunch here, too. So. Uh, uh, all right. So uh, the next movie we're going to be talking about is Heat, Michael Mann, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Val Kilmer, um, submitted to us by our friend Ronnie, which uh, this is his first film. This is the first one. We, I know we have a couple more, I think, in the helmet, but this is the first one that we picked of his. Yeah. So uh, we look forward to that. We'll throw out an invitation, see if he wants to come on and talk a little Heat. Uh, just quickly around the table, Professor, have you seen Heat? Several times. Uh, John? Never. Interesting. Uh, for the fuck of it. Uh, TJ, have you seen Heat? I haven't, but I've been wanting to see it desperately. Wait, aren't you a filmmaker? It doesn't mean I've seen any good movies. All right, so I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. Be sure to tune in next week when we talk about Saving Private Ryan with our guest Gerard. And a week from then, we're going to get into some heat, hopefully with uh, Ronnie as a guest. So with that, I just want to thank 
Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Uh, keep on listening. Hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where after each show, we post our show notes along with the audio for this podcast. They can find us at any social media platform, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also on the various podcasting hosting sites, Podbeam, iTunes. We put ourselves wherever we can find. Um, if you do go check us out on any of those hosting sites, please go ahead and subscribe us or give us a like and give us a comment. We'd really like to grow this podcast. So yeah, that's where you can find us. I just want to thank TJ for coming on and chatting about a scanner darkly with us. I hope you had a good time. And as always, you do have a standing invitation here at three guys in a flick. So with all that being said again, for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. And I'm TJ. Thanks for listening. I got a question for everybody here. If you could take one older movie, any movie that's just been out either recently or in the past and rotoscope it, what would that movie be? Um, that is a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That could be an interesting Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There you go. Uh, I would have to say one movie that I could rotoscope. Should we go to TJ while you think? Yeah, I don't have an answer yet. I don't have an answer. What, Katie? That's what's gonna be my answer. I want to see Bruce rotoscoped. When's the last time you ever seen Jaws? I've seen Jaws many times. When was the last time? It's been a while. Yeah, that's what I fucking thought. But that one would be great animated. Even, you know, better yet, they should make it like Disney animation with the puffy round faces and everything and the singing. God, that would be amazing. Maybe Batman Begins. Uh, I think I would kind of want to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, that'd be a really good choice. That, That end scene. Could be pretty cool with the, like the effects that they do. Yeah. I was sort of, that, that was in the back of my mind. I did have another quote. Which was? It's from Barris. There's only one thing we can do to thwart the plot of these albino shape-shifting lizard bitches. Yeah, I like that one. That was good. You stole that one at the end. Should I? Should I do that? It's a little vulgar. <laughs> our rating have, system is fucked. Wait, have you, li- well, our ratings are fucks. Um, have you listened to our podcast? I, yeah. No, you fuck don't. Fuck this guy. Well, yeah, fuck this guy. When was the last time you listened? What was the last podcast of ours you listened to? I'm and sorry, there it is. Can I just say that TJ had me at strokes and touching points? Uh, again, <laughs> creepy factor. Actual scene, this sex scene, he purposely left it vague and didn't want to give the answer to people. He wanted them to come up with their own theories. So when you talk about whether Decker was a replicant, he wanted people to have their own theories. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'd just be curious to check out the... Oh, sorry. Sorry. Please. Please continue. Talk about that sex scene some more. Well, what else would you like to talk about, bud? I knew you would, fucking creepo. Do you pause it on every frame to find out which position is which? I did pause it on one of the frames, but I won't tell you which. Why not? Oh, can we guess? Hank reveals to Fred that he has long known that he is Archer. Archer. <laughs> Archer. Thanks, fuck faces. <laughs> he was addicted to D. Stay addicted to the D. So, for me, wait, I... Wait, 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 wait. Just one, huh? 
I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm giving Too it late. one fucks. All right. Fuck off. Good night.